God's word this morning. I have a couple things I want to uh, share with you. And both of these, one of them actually is in your bullet and the other you can pick up as you leave this morning. The first is the read it selection. And I'm not going to take a whole lot of time to talk about this month's read it selection, but did want to say this. The, the main objective with the, the read it recommendation is to put quality Christian literature in your hands. And I've I've been really encouraged with the many people that have come and have commented and have been encouraged with the books that we have looked at thus far. When I say readable, I mean, there's a strong chance I'm not going to be recommending books that are 800 pages long. You can count on that. Uh, This month's selection is probably the shortest one that we've ever recommended. It's written by a friend of mine who lives in in Canada. And the name of the book is Set an Example by Tim Chalice. it's a powerful little book, and technically it's, it's a booklet, which means it's, it's very short. So I want to commend that to you and have you uh, think about picking that up. And then on a monthly basis, we've been looking at a country to focus our attention on in terms of world missions. And this month, we want to turn our attention to the nation of India. And I want to have a little bit of fun with you to show you the magnitude of the the land of India. I want to have you take out a piece of paper and a pen or a pencil, and hopefully you have something nearby. Uh, Would you take a guess at what the population of Seattle is? I don't mean the greater Seattle area, Bothell, Bellevue, Kent. I mean Seattle. Seattle proper. In fact, if you want to shout that out, anyone have an idea of what the population of Seattle is? Wow! I, I should have a prize. You, you got it. So we're talking about 800,000 people. I'm, I'm guessing you've all been to Seattle. You know uh, what the lay of the land is like. Now, I want you to think about India. The capital of India is Delhi. And I'm not going to have you even guess what the, capital, what, the, what the population is. I'll give it to you right up front. It's over 22 million. You guys think Seattle's big? It's a pretty big city, right? 800,000 plus. 22 million people. And that's nothing. The population of India... and. Most of you know I'm not a math wizard. So when I looked at the population, there was a whole ton of zeros, and I had to kind of figure it out. Right? You know how that goes. So I wrote it out this way. 1.324 billion people in India. And I don't know about you, but I I can't even compute that. That that doesn't even register with me. This is an absolutely massive uh, group of people. Financially diverse, especially since the introduction of the market-driven economy, which occurred in 1991. They are a a major nuclear power nation, the space industry, a leader in the IT sector. There's a rapid uh, growth of the middle class. 74% of India is Hindu. And when we think about missions, uh, that has huge implications when we think that almost three-fourths of the nation of India is Hindu. 14% are Muslim. Less than 5% are Christians in the nation of India. There are several prayer needs that you can look in the flyer, in in the foyer. But there are health concerns that are a a huge problem. 40% of the children in India under the age of 3 suffer from malnutrition because of things like a lack of clean water and sanitation. Those are things that just shouldn't be. 
evangelism to the Hindus. It's the world's least evangelized people concentrated in India. Of 159 people groups of over 1 million people, 133 of those people groups are absolutely unreached. And what that means is this. They don't have a Bible in their own language, in their mother tongue. Um, They have never heard the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I was shocked to hear of the number of seminaries, literally dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of seminaries in India. And so we can pray not only for pastors who are being raised up in India, but also nationals who are being evangelized by Christians and those pastors. And so I commend that to you and want to encourage you to pick one up, put it in your notebook, be praying for the the dear people of India. This morning, I want to invite you to turn. We're going to shift our attention to the book of Ephesians once again. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 14, I I hope you remember that in the original Greek, verses 3 to 14, and Lord willing, we will make our way through verse 14 today, is one sentence in the original Greek. Here, the Apostle Paul sketches out the sovereign work of God, both past and present and future and presents the the marvelous plan and purposes of God for the church. I can just imagine Paul as he sat down and as he was writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he begins in verse 3 and he writes and writes and writes and writes and he gets to verse 14 and it concludes with these words that we'll look at in a moment, to the praise of his glory, period. Here's a summary of what we've learned thus far, just to bring us up to speed. We began in verse 3 with what we refer to as the preeminent blessing. And we learned here that the in verse 3, we learned that the fountainhead of each of the blessings that we experience in the Christian life come directly from the hand of God the Father. And each of those blessings are linked to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember this, we don't deserve these blessings. We simply do not deserve these blessings. Each one of the blessings that we have learned about and will continue to learn about as we study the book of Ephesians comes as a result of God's sheer and free grace. Secondly, the priority of election. In verse 4, we learn that the doctrine of election is not only a biblical reality that we need to wrestle with, We must also rejoice in the doctrine of election. For apart from the doctrine of election, not a one of us would ever trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Moreover, in verse 4, we learned about the plan of election. We learned here that God the Father chose us in eternity past in Christ, and he did so for a purpose. He did so according to his good and sovereign pleasure. Also in verse 4, we took time to uncover the purpose of election, which is to be holy and blameless in his sight. You think about the the amazing doctrine of election. God in eternity past chose his people to be holy and blameless in his sight. Additionally, we discovered the motivation for election. We were predestined because he loved us. We were predestined for adoption as sons. And as sons and daughters, we have the privilege of approaching the living God as father. 
When we pray, we, we pray, Father in heaven, thank you. By the way, what are you thankful for today? I hope none of you get sick of me over the next 12 months coming up to you. I, I went to Jessica this morning. I said, Jessica, what are you thankful for? Where'd Jessica go? She was thankful this morning. And, and this is to show you how, how simple of an exercise this is. She was thankful for tea. I don't know why anyone would ever be thankful for tea. Because coffee is so much better. Right, Ken? But... Jessica loves tea, and she was thankful for that simple gift from God. So let me encourage you. I'm going to continue to remind you to, day by day, write one thing down that you're thankful for. As sons and daughters, additionally, we share in Christ's sufferings, Romans chapter 8 says, and we also share in his glory. Then we have delighted in the freedom that is ours in Christ, and we rejoice in the forgiveness that is ours in Christ. Are you rejoicing today because of the forgiveness that you've received for all your sins, past, present, and future? Additionally, we have meditated on the inheritance from God, which is according to his purpose and ultimately for his glory. And then finally, we have learned that Salvation ultimately comes from the Lord. And I have talked to some of you over the last several weeks about your desire to learn more about the personal pronouns. Some of you know what I'm referring to. I had a friend come in a few days ago and and she said, continue to to focus on the the he's and the him's of Ephesians chapter 1. And so I'm going to, with your Bibles open, run through this really, really quickly. If you're numbered among those who have been walking through this and taking it seriously. This comes as a result of my, my plea and my challenge many weeks ago to have you pay close attention to the pronouns. You don't automatically assume that the, the pronoun he, for instance, refers to the Father, the Son, or the Spirit. You look at the context and you determine what it means based on the context. So, look at Ephesians 1. We begin in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father. Now, There's no pronouns there, but clearly the argument is linked to the Father. Blessed be to the the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as He, that is the Father, chose us in Him. You see how it gets tricky all of a sudden, right out of the chutes? The Father chose us in Him, namely the Son, Before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless in him, the father in love. He predestined us. That is the father predestined us for adoption as sons through the Lord Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, the father's will. To the praise of his glorious grace, the father's glorious grace, with which he, that is the father, has blessed us in the beloved. Are you with me? Are you excited? This is really exciting. Verse 7. In him, that is the son, we have redemption through his, the son's blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his, the father's grace, which he, the father, lavished on us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his, the father's will, according to his, the father, his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, Christ. 
Things in heaven and things on earth. Probably the trickiest section of Ephesians 1 occurs in verse 11. And I'll make an emphasis here because this will help us as we look at verses 13 and 14. In him, Father, Son, or Spirit, we have obtained an inheritance. And let me give it to you right up front. In Christ. Because apart from Christ, we would have no inheritance. In Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of, go back to verse 4, Him, the Father, who works all things according to the counsel of His will, the Father's will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory, namely, the Father's glory. That's a quick snapshot of Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 12. This morning, I want to draw your attention and attract your attention to learning more about the inheritance that we have from God that is ultimately for His purpose and ultimately for His glory. The title of the message is Eternal Life Assurance. I want to have you stand with me as we read together the passages that we will explore together, beginning in verse 13. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory, period. Let's pray. Father, how exciting it is to open uh, the word of God, to turn to the book of Ephesians and learn about sovereign grace. God, we acknowledge that salvation belongs to the Lord. And Lord, you have been teaching us, you have been instructing us by the power of your spirit for several weeks now as we have been drawn in to learn about these mighty realities. Now today, as we finish the the end of this sentence that occurs in the original Greek, I I pray that you would uh, give our hearts great encouragement. I pray that you would show us just just an inkling of the ministry of the Holy Spirit and that you would see you would help us to see the, the amazing reality of the inheritance that is ours in Christ. Please encourage your people now. May you send them away with a blessing so that they would know their security is secure in Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. It's hard to believe that it was just over 21 years ago. Just over 21 years ago, I was standing in a hospital room, or maybe not standing, maybe on my back, and Jereen was having our first child. And I remember Abby being born, and we, we named her Abigail Noel. And we put her in the car, and we strapped her in that car seat. And, and some of you, if you're new parents, know the feeling. It's the first time you've had a newborn in the back seat. And I strapped her in and opened the door for Jereen. And Jereen got in. And I put my seatbelt on. And I was scared to death to drive. 
was like, what if something happens? I've, we've got a baby that's not even three days old yet in the back seat. And we got Abby home, thankfully, in one piece. And within, within about five days, I was sitting in an attorney's office because I decided it would be important to purchase some life insurance. For if something should happen to me, I wanted to make sure that my beautiful bride and my firstborn child would be taken care of, that they would have security. I wanted to know that they would be adequately provided for. I think you would agree that that would be a a noble cause, but I need to have you think also about other kinds of security. Financial security is not our only concern, you see. Where do we turn for security in a world where things rot and decay and corrode, where human relationships go sour, where jobs are scarce, and where secure insecurity seems to rule the day? But there are even more pressing questions that emerge, namely, how can I know that I'm secure in my relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? That is, if I have a relationship with Christ. If I have been justified... If I have been pronounced innocent in the, high, in the sight of God by, by grace alone, through faith alone, is my position in Christ eternally secure? How can I be certain of my future with God? Where do I get eternal life assurance? From a pastor's perspective, I would say that what I have learned over the last almost 26 years of ministry. It is one of the most pressing concerns among the people of God has to do with eternal security. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had over the last 26 and even more years as a, as a Christian before I was a pastor in the church where, where friends or relatives or, or people in the church would come and, and they would express concern about their salvation How do I know that I'll go to heaven when I die? It's in light of this concern that we must return to this rock-solid reality. And that rock-solid reality is that everyone in Christ, every Christian has been given an inheritance from God. You think about the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the inheritance had a a physical dimension to it. It was expressed in the promised land. One writer says it like this. When we turn our attention to the New Testament, in the New Testament, it is a spiritual inheritance which comes through the kingdom of God and the promises of eternal life. It expresses a fundamental relationship between God and man. It depicts God's desire to give his people, listen, a secure abode, a secure abode. If you're here this morning and you're you're longing for that secure abode, this message is for you. You know, I hear it said that that one of the, the, the needs that women have in a marriage is for security, that they know that that they will be secure in their relationship with their husband. Secure is in the relationship with their children, secure in the home that they live in, secure in terms of of having adequate uh, finances. And that may be true and that's legitimate. But the need for security doesn't know any gender bounds. The need for security is one that is known by by every boy and every girl and every man and every woman. 
And so this morning, I want to explore the contours of our inheritance that we enjoy in Christ. I would commend three headings to you. First, I want you to see that our inheritance is grounded in the work of God. And I need to say that this is exceedingly good news, that our inheritance is grounded in the work of God. It's not grounded in what you can accomplish or what I can accomplish. It's not grounded in our abilities. It's not grounded in our finances. It's not grounded in any of those things. Our inheritance is grounded in the work of God. Verse 13, in him, that is in Jesus You also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. Now, I've given you all the personal pronouns thus far. Will someone shout out who that him is in this context? Let me read it again. In him, in Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Christ. Excellent. Were sealed with The promised Holy Spirit. We need to remember, my friends, that salvation, as Jonah chapter 2 says, belongs to whom? It belongs to the Lord. Salvation is completely from God from start to finish. Let me review it with you once again. We learned about the sovereign work of God in salvation. That is the sovereign work of God the Father. Verse 4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. We learned about the redemptive work of the son. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. And we will learn more this morning about the sealing work of the Holy Spirit. We see that emerging in verse 13. But before we can take a closer look at the sealing ministry, I want you to take a look with me at what precedes that sealing ministry. Something takes place before we were sealed, and it occurs in verse 13. In him, you also, when you, here's point number one, Heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. That word heard comes from a a Greek word that means to pay attention, to pay attention. But it goes beyond merely paying attention because you can you can hear the gospel. And if you don't respond to the gospel, you will be eternally condemned. The Bible says we we hear the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and then secondly, believed in him. That word believed is a is a dominant word that you find throughout the pages of the New Testament. Pastuo. It means to think, to be true, or to trust. And so what are the two things that precede this sealing ministry of the Spirit? You, you hear the word of God. You hear the truth of the gospel. And then you believe it. You believe in Jesus. It is in Christ That we place our trust. He is the object of our faith. Now with that in the background. Turn your attention with me now. To this sealing ministry. That Paul the Apostle speaks of in verse 13. A couple of very important points. First the sealing ministry. And this should come as no surprise to you. But the sealing ministry occurs. The moment we believe. 
You remember you heard it, you paid attention to it, you believed in, not it, but you believed in him, you believed in Jesus. The Bible tells us here that the sealing of the Holy Spirit occurs when we believe, when we bank all of our hope exclusively in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and were made to drink of one spirit. This morning, if you're new to Christ Fellowship or you've been coming over the last several months and you're wondering what what the contours of a Baptist church look like in Everson, you've heard that the Baptists, you've most likely heard that the Baptists don't believe in the Holy Spirit. Well, you've come to a church who delights in the Holy Spirit. You've come to a church who, who believes wholeheartedly in the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. Leona, amen. We love the Holy Spirit. And those in years past who have, who have de-emphasized the person and work of the Holy Spirit, that's a very serious thing, to de-emphasize the person and the work of the third member of the Godhead. And so we delight in the Holy Spirit, and we recognize that it is, it is God, the Holy Spirit, who does the sealing. You see, God promised the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the pages of the Old Testament. I want to have you turn with me to, to the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 36, right near the middle of the Old Testament. And I want to have you look with me, hold your finger in Ephesians 1. Look with me at Ezekiel chapter 36, beginning in verse 26. And I'm going to give you just a few seconds to get there. It's not probably the first book you're accustomed to turning to. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26. Because I think it would be important for you to gaze upon these important words. Let's read it together. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put Within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Would you look at one additional passage in the book of Acts? A little bit easier to find the book of Acts, chapter 1. And if you are, are tuned in to the story of redemptive history, you will be very aware that we are exceedingly close to this promise coming to pass in the book of Acts. Look just prior to the day of Pentecost at this passage in Acts chapter 1 verse 4. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of of the Father, which he had said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. You see, it is God who does the sealing. God promised the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and he acted on his promise. Later in the book of Acts, we see the, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And please remember that the Holy Spirit was active in the days of the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit came upon the Old Testament saints. The Holy Spirit came upon David. The Holy Spirit came upon Enoch. The Holy Spirit came upon Saul even. 
But in the days of the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come and the Holy Spirit would go. But Ezekiel 36 says, a new day is coming. A new day is coming when the Holy Spirit will come in great power. He will indwell the people of God and he will never leave. He will never leave. So we know this, the sealing ministry that we read about in Ephesians 1.13 is trustworthy and reliable. The sealing ministry is trustworthy and reliable. Why is it that the case that the sealing ministry is trustworthy and reliable? It's for this reason and this reason alone. Our God is trustworthy and reliable. We serve a God who doesn't speak with forked tongue. We serve a God who does not lie. We serve a God who keeps every one of his promises. Now, with your eyes on Ephesians 1.13, as we are fine-tuning what it means to be sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, I want you to notice with me four very important aspects of the sealing ministry of the Holy Spirit. That is to say, what does it mean to me? First, I want you to notice authenticity. Authenticity. To be sealed, you see, means to confirm It means to authenticate beyond a doubt. And when the Holy Spirit seals us, it authenticates the fact that you are a child of God. Many of you know that I like books a little bit. And when I get a book, I have I have a little tradition. I started this about 20 years ago because about 20 years ago when. I had a birthday and my brother got me a gift. It's turned out to be one of my all-time favorite gifts. It's something I, I never would have spent the money on. Never, ever in a million years. He bought me one of those one of those book stamps, those imprinters. Chris is looking at I could see him looking. He's like, yeah, I want one of those. They're really, really cool. And so I, I finished my, my doctorate and my brother got me the book stamp and it says, From the Library of Dr. David Steele. And then this big circle in the middle says D.S. So when I get a book, and I got some really good ones a few days ago. I had a set of a guy, uh, uh, Nate Leibolt and I have been talking about J.C. Ryle, the former Bishop of Liverpool. Right, Linda? Exciting stuff. And so I get these books. And what's the first thing I do? I don't even look at them. I go right to my stamp. I go to page number one and I, I crimp it and I look at it. You know what it says? It says the same thing every time. From the library, Dr. David Steele, DS. And you know what that means? It means that it's mine. It means that when I loan you a book, I'm just kidding. <laughs> You're supposed to give it back, right? When I loan a book out, what the book tells people is that is the possession of another. Here's what happens when you hear the truth of the gospel and you pay attention to the gospel and you believe on Christ. At that moment, not a second later, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. You belong to God. You don't belong to a demon. You don't belong to the devil. You don't belong to this culture. You don't belong to anyone else. The Holy Spirit seals you and you are secure in God. And so a seal not only points to authenticity, it leads to the second fact here. It leads to ownership. 
It leads to ownership. In the ancient days, an owner would put a mark on his possession to guard against theft. And we do that in our culture as well. When used with documents like a will or a a deed of sale, the purpose of the seal was to authorize what was written there. Titus chapter 2 says this, Christ gave himself for us to redeem all lawlessness and to purify for himself, listen, a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Authenticity, ownership. Number three, authority, authority. Since we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit, we have the ability to minister in his name with authority. Did you know when you tell a person who is not a Christian to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved, that that carries the ring not only of truth, but the ring of authority. You say, what if that person doesn't buy it? It doesn't matter. Because that passage has the ring of authority. There is no other name given unto men by which they must be saved. It is only Jesus. He is the only only path to salvation. There are not other paths. There are not other deities. There are not other gods. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. All the others are cheap substitutes. They only lead to hell. And so when you tell your friend that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, you speak with a measured biblical authority. Why? You have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. Number four, I've alluded to it earlier, but there is also security. It, it refers to security. Second Corinthians one twenty two. God has put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a, here's a big word, a guarantee. I don't know about you, but... When I hear the word guarantee, sometimes, not in Ephesians 1, not in 2 Corinthians 1, but out in the marketplace of ideas, I hear the word guaranteed, and this is just the cynical side of me. I say something like this. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Lifetime guarantee. Give me a break. Why? Everything breaks. Everything breaks. Everything corrodes. It's all all going down, right? But here the word of God tells us. God has put his seal on us. He has given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Verse 13. When we believed in him, we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who, verse 14, is the guarantee of our inheritance. Therefore, since our inheritance is grounded in the work of God, we can be confident in our relationship with him. Did you know if you're a believer, you can walk out this morning and know I have confidence in my relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Since our inheritance is grounded in the work of God, we can trust him. We can trust him with our relationships. We can trust him with our finances. We can trust him with with our careers. We can trust him with our futures. God is a trustworthy God. And finally, we can rest assured, we, we find assurance when our, our emotions play games with us and we don't feel like a Christian. I'm going to do this, and I, I, I'm gonna, we're going to have some fun here. Would you close your eyes? 
total anonymity. I'll be the only one with my eyes open. And I'll report back and let you know what, what the tally was. Close your eyes. Some of you aren't doing it yet. That's very, that's not good. Okay, close your eyes. Now raise your hand with your eyes closed if you've ever not felt like a Christian. I just don't feel like a Christian. Keep your eyes closed. If any, oh boy. Okay, open your eyes. Can I tell you what I saw? A majority of hands went up. And one set of hands, and you know who, one set of hands went like this. Right? Do you know this is just a common thing in the Christian race? Some days I just don't feel like a Christian. Well, know this, that since your inheritance is grounded in the work of God, at that precise moment, your feelings don't matter. Your feelings are unreliable. Why? Because your inheritance is grounded in God. Notice, secondly, that your inheritance is guaranteed by God. We've already alluded to that. Verse 14 who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. I like to refer to this as the divine guarantee. The Holy Spirit is literally a pledge or a guarantee of what is yet to come. The Greek term here for guarantee describes earnest money. If you purchase the house, you understand what it means to, to put some earnest money down. I remember the first house that Dreen and I bought. I wrote the check and... I remember telling my dad, who was kind of walking us through the process, I was like, I feel like I'm going to be sick. It's like, I, I have been working for years and years and dream work for years and years to write one check for this goofy house. Well, this is what's happening in verse 14. The Greek term describes earnest money by which a purchase is given as a pledge or a down payment. Think of it like this. The Holy Spirit in verse 14 is, is a down payment. The Holy Spirit, and I say this reverently and also biblically, is the first installment of what is yet to come. You say, what does that mean? We have an inheritance guaranteed by God, and we have yet to enjoy the fullness of that inheritance. You see, if you're in Christ, you have been granted that inheritance in Christ, but you have not yet enjoyed the fullness of the inheritance. Some of you have heard me use these words. Our inheritance is already, someone help me, not yet. Our inheritance, and, and it's, it's one of the most helpful things you will learn about in the Christian life. A few weeks ago, we learned about sonship. If you were in Christ, you were a son or a daughter in Christ. But sonship also is already and not yet. Yes, you're a son. You have received your full rights as sons, but it's already not yet. Same with the inheritance. You have all of what has been promised to you in Christ, but your inheritance is already not yet. Let me illustrate. Hold your finger in Ephesians 1 and go to Romans chapter 8, verse 17. Because sometimes I found this is a new one for people. And once you, it's kind of like in math class. It took me forever to fig figure out what X is. Are any of you still there? What is X? And then one, one day someone told me, they said, it's the unknown. It's like, why didn't someone tell me that? It's the unknown. And it all clicks. It begins to make sense. Here, if you begin to understand what it means that our inheritance is already and not yet the Christian life 
begins to get more clear, and it's very encouraging and exciting. Romans 8, 17, starting verse 16. The Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, and we are, if you're in Christ, then heirs. That means you have an inheritance. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. How many of you are glorified with Christ this very minute? Don't raise your hand. None of us are yet glorified. When we die, we won't even be glorified. We aren't glorified until Jesus comes back. And at that point, we will receive our full rights as inheritors of the kingdom of God. Go to Galatians chapter 3, verse 29. Galatians three twenty-nine. And while you're turning there, let me give you another already not yet. And maybe if, if it hasn't clicked in, it will now. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is within you. Do we live in the kingdom of God? The answer would be already. Not yet. Not yet. It's coming. But we are living as a part of the kingdom of God. But the fullness of the kingdom arrives later. It's already and not yet. Galatians 3.29. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Also Galatians 4.7. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. One final passage in the book of Titus. Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3, verse 7. Scripture says that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now with those scriptures... Rolling around in your minds, listen to this quote from Tom Schreiner. He says, we are heirs now. Stop right there for a minute and and just, just take it in. We are heirs now. When I go to Safeco Field, you're like, what in the world does this have to do with the inheritance? When I go to Safeco Field, I walk in. Look at the chandeliers made of bats. It's a good beginning. You go up the escalator, you get in the main concourse, and you can see the field now. And you walk out, and you're now in the main section of Safeco Field. I do this every time. Oh, man. You, uh, you, like, what do you smell? You smell pulled pork, freshly cut grass, fresh popcorn. Northwest, you just, you smell it all, right? You take it in. Do that now with this particular reality. We are heirs now. Listen, this is incredible. I'm an heir of the sovereign king of the universe. I, I have begun full rights and it was free. Jesus paid a great cost so that I might be an heir, but now he calls me a son. He calls me a daughter. We are heirs now, but we have not yet obtained the inheritance laid up for us. 
inheritance focuses on the the not yet dimension of salvation, on what still awaits us. We are the children of God now, but we have not yet obtained the inheritance promised to us. Close quote. Now, without a show of hands, I might ask, how many of you wrestle with the notion of death? You you start to think, and for me personally, what I wrestle with is, I don't want it to hurt. You with me? Oh, I don't want it to hurt because I, I've seen I've seen hurt and I've seen suffering. I've seen pain. But if you can look beyond the suffering, look beyond the hurt, look beyond the pain, you begin to think with a Christian worldview that when I die, that means gain. You know what the world tells us? When you die, you go to a hole in the ground. Game over. The worms eat you. But the Christian worldview, the Bible says when you die... It's gain. It's gain. The guarantee of the inheritance now is seen also in the golden chain of salvation. Look at it with me in Romans chapter 8. And normally I would like to, to linger over this section of scripture. But let me give it to you in a very basic form and we'll move on. Romans chapter 8, beginning of verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, that is, for those whom God the Father foreknew, he also, the Father also, predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Now here is what theologians refer to as the golden chain of salvation. And those whom he, the Father, predestined the father also called and those whom he called he also justified and those whom he justified he also glorified do you see the golden chains in the salvation it begins with predestination and calling that is effectual calling with justification and glorification the simple message is this if god chose you in eternity past you will be justified. And all those who are justified will most certainly be glorified. And you say, Pastor, you don't understand. You don't know what I did in 1974. Pastor, you don't understand. You don't know what I'm thinking about right now. Pastor, you don't understand. I am such a screw-up. I struggle with sin. My Bible tells me that all those whom God predestined and called and justified will also be glorified. What are the qualities of this inheritance? That might be a little hard for you to see, which says our inheritance in Christ. And one thing you can see is what First Peter says. So would you turn to First Peter? And I want to walk quickly with you through the qualities of the inheritance. The qualities of the inheritance. And it begins in verse 3. Peter, the apostle, says, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance. Stop. What kind of an inheritance? Well, 
Peter says the first quality of this inheritance is that it is imperishable. That's a word that means uncorrupted, not liable to corruption. It can't decay. The second quality of this inheritance is that it is undefiled, which I I love the definition in the Greek. It means unsoiled. There's no dirt on this inheritance. Third, he says it's unfading, which is a synonym for imperishable. It means unaffected by withering, which is common in the case of flowers. Man, do you like to get your wife flowers? I do. But there's a problem with flowers. Big problem. Every single time I've bought my wife flowers, they wither. It's It's lame. Spend money, buy flowers, they wither. But here we learn that the inheritance is unfading. It can never wither. We learn additionally that it is reserved or kept in heaven for you. And I love this term here because it's a military term that means to stand watch. It means to stand watch. It means that God is guarding your inheritance. Number five, we see that your inheritance is protected by the power of God, which also means to be locked up as a prisoner. It means to guard. It means to keep watch. It means your inheritance, which is imperishable and undefiled and unsoiled, kept in heaven for you, is being guarded by the very power of God. Finally, Hebrews chapter 9 says that our inheritance is eternal. And as you look through this this amazing list of qualities about our inheritance in Christ, here's what I've discovered. Sometimes Christians don't buy it. They don't buy it because they have a cynical edge to them because they've learned in life that everything perishes. Everything fades. Isn't it horrible to spend money on a nice shirt? And it's your favorite shirt. Jerry, what do you do with my favorite shirts from time to time? She and she says she throws them out. And here's what usually happens. She doesn't tell me. And I'm like, hey, where's my favorite white shirt with a yellow collar? Oh, I threw that out three months ago. Ah. And Dreen says, honey, you don't understand. Like the collar was like it was green. And there were there were holes in it. I said, I don't care. It was my favorite shirt. My friend Brian in Legrand, he's a dentist. And he has an Elmer's, been to Elmer's in Portland, the pancake house. He has an Elmer's t-shirt. It's the simplest t-shirt you'd ever see. If his wife throws that t-shirt away, oh boy, (laughs) there'll be problems, right? But here's the point. Everything fades, everything perishes, everything fades away. And so we say, God, I don't know if I buy it. I don't get it. We know if you're bent towards science, we understand the second law of thermodynamics that says everything deteriorates all on its own. But there's one exception to the scientific law of second law of thermodynamics. Our inheritance never perishes, never spoils, never fades. It is kept in heaven for you. Finally, look at verse 14 in Ephesians chapter 1. We've seen that our inheritance is grounded solely in God. We've seen that our inheritance is guaranteed by God. Finally, I want you to see that our inheritance is ultimately for the glory of God. Verse 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Our 
Salvation is grounded in God. And as a result, every spiritual blessing, every spiritual blessing we have is grounded in the kind intention of his will. Verse 5, the riches of his grace. Verse 7, you can stop writing because I'm going to reel them off. Our spiritual blessings are grounded in his wisdom and insight. Verse 8, in the kind intention which he purposed in him. Verse 9, in his purpose who works out all things according to the counsel of his will. Verse 11, the purposes of all these blessings is for his glory. Verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace. Verse 9, according to his purpose. Verse 12 and 14, to the praise of his glory. Here's the truth point. The scriptures are clear. If you are in Christ, you have security in Christ. Every man, woman, boy, and girl in Christ has been given an inheritance that is grounded in the work of God, guaranteed by God, and is ultimately for the glory of God. Our time's expired, but as we leave, I want to leave you with a few practical points and remind you, That doctrine matters. Did you know that all we've been talking about this morning is doctrine? This is the teaching of the inheritance that emerges in the pages of the New Testament. This morning, if you struggle with assurance, if the idea of eternal life assurance doesn't ring true for you, please remember this doctrine leads to several important realities. Number one, it leads to consecration. This doctrine leads to consecration. When we realize the reason God chose us, namely to be holy and blameless in his sight, that he has forgiven us, that he has adopted us, that he has sealed us with the promised Holy Spirit, it causes us to be the people that God calls us to be, namely, holy people. Second, this doctrine brings confirmation. Romans eight sixteen. the spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children heirs, a brand new book, I've been reading it over the last couple of days, says this, all the benefits and the blessings that the believer receives are sourced in Christ, are supplied by Christ, and are conveyed to us by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so we value the ministry of the Holy Spirit here at Christ Fellowship. Number three, this doctrine brings confidence. Why? Because Romans 8 tells us that I am sure that neither life nor death nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The writer says it is when we understand what certainly lies in our future that we are able to face the future, that we are able to face the uncertain present with Christian confidence. Number four, this doctrine brings an amazing amount of comfort. Jesus said this, I give them eternal life and they will never perish And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. Finally, this doctrine points us to the consummation. 
And Paul the Apostle speaks of it in Philippians 1 when he says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. R.C. Sproul, who went to be with the Lord not too many days ago, said, It is by grace and grace alone that Christians persevere. God finishes what he begins. He ensures that his purposes and election are not frustrated. This morning, my friends, do you have eternal life assurance? The only way to have such a thing is to be in Christ, to be robed in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the amazing thing to speak in terms of the metaphor. The premium has already been paid. Your application will never be rejected. You will never be canceled. Are you struggling to know whether or not your salvation is secure in Christ? Perhaps it's time to embrace this great reality that our inheritance is grounded in the work of God, guaranteed by God, and is ultimately for the glory of God. Let's pray together. Father, this morning I I ask that you would bring assurance uh, to your people. I am confident that there may still exist some who who wrestle and and battle with this topic that they they don't feel secure that they wrestle with things that have taken place in the past that they sometimes let their their sins get the upper hand father would you please remind us the beauty of the inheritance that it is indeed grounded in the work of god that it is guaranteed by God, who never lies, who always fulfills his promises. And that you would remind us that this, this inheritance is ultimately for the glory of God. Father, do a mighty work here in this place. Would you encourage someone who's wrestling, who's struggling, who needs assurance? Would you grant it by the power of your Holy Spirit through the truth of your word? In Christ's name we pray. Amen.